You know, for a long time, I meant to try Pete's coffee, but just never gave it a chance. But ever since I did, I have a hard time settling on anything less. And there's something to say about a coffee company with such rich history and devotion to bring you that perfect brew. Since Alfred Pete opened his first coffee bar in 1966, Pete's has selectively sourced the finest beans in the world, carefully calibrating each roast by hand and crafting each beverage with the utmost care. Pete's aims to produce fresh from the roaster's coffee delivered directly to your door, sourcing the top 1% of coffee beans, roasted by hand to unlock each bean's potential, and delivering it to you fresh to bring you the perfect cup. With over 30 flavor varieties in both gourmet coffees and teas, like Vietnam Lotus Bold, Major Dickinson's Blend, and Arabian Mocha Java, you are sure to find the right flavor to start your day. And they even come in K-Cups for those of you who live life on the go. Check out all the varieties of Pete's has to offer by following the link in the show notes below. And starting August 30th, you can take advantage of their Labor Day sale and get yourself 20% off anything on their site by using promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout. This offer is valid through September 5th. That's promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase this Labor Day. But why not do one better? Use promo code NEWSUB30 at checkout and you get yourself 30% off of a new subscription to Pete's Coffee. That's right. All the delicious coffee you could want delivered right to your door each and every month without you ever having to worry about running low. What more could you ever need? That's promo code NEWSUB30 for 30% off your subscription. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee, talk about movies. My name is Leah Diana, and today with my boyfriend and co-host Sean Tatro, we will be winding back the reel to 1989. A young beautician newly arrived in a small Louisiana town finds work at a local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold in Steel Magnolias. Let's talk about it. Here we go! I don't want to have to kill you. Don't you threaten me, Drum Eatington. Drum would never, ever point a gun at a lady. Your husband is a boil on the butt of humanity. TriStar Pictures presents... Well, this is it. You're finally rid of me. Sally Field. I think you'd be back every now and then. Dolly Parton. How's your family? Louie brought his girlfriend home, and the nicest thing I can say about her is all of her tattoos are spelled correctly. I miss Oh, leave me alone. Shirley MacLaine. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Daryl Hannah. Miss Trudy, I swear to you that my personal tragedy will not interfere with my ability to do good hair. Olympia Dukakis. Looks like two pigs fighting on the blanket. <laughs> Julia Roberts. I'm going to make you very happy. I want a child of my own. Your poor body has been through so much. Why 
Why would you deliberately do this to yourself? Diabetics have healthy babies all the you time. You are special, Shelby. Time has made them close. Life. She's gonna have a baby. Go get a doctor. Has made them friends. <laughs> Steel Magnolias, the funniest movie that will ever make you cry. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. So this was a bit of a change of pace for us. Yes. I'm not exactly sure why you chose this one, or at least I wasn't when we decided to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think now after watching it, I understand a little better. Yes. So Steel Magnolias has always been one of those movies since I was younger that you hear about it and it falls in the realms of fried green tomatoes beaches the way we were like it's a feel-good chick flick that's what everybody said about this type of movie but it wasn't until i would say during 2020 when a lot of people were putting up like like nostalgic movies that i saw a couple clips from this film and it really it hit close to home not as close as it could have but it hit really close to home so Getting right into it, Steel Magnolias is about basically about a group of, of friends. They're all mothers. They're all older. They're like in the 30s, 40s. They live in this small town. Everybody knows everyone. And it starts off with, you know, you're jumped right into a woman moving to this small town, getting a job, and kind of how her life unfolds watching all these people. The reason why it hit home is because the main character that Julia Roberts plays has diabetes. She has type 1 diabetes. And it kind of, back in the 80s, it shows you how, like, these diseases could really cripple a family, a town, friends. Well, mostly because nobody really knew anything about them or no, how to deal with them. A lot of the time, like, when you think about these kind of diseases, you don't realize that, like, 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s, we didn't know a whole hell of a lot about them. I mean, I had a grandmother who had type 2 diabetes, and she had heart problems, too, as well. She had open heart surgery, she had type 2 diabetes, you know, she had all sorts of problems. But she ended up passing away from both of them. And she struggled to, like, kind of get control of all of, of all of her diseases and I don't know this one just hit really really hard watching you know some of the things that oh, you know what's sad is I forget all the main character all the characters names the actual characters yeah side note we watched this one a week ago and th that's a first for this for podcast us. we we normally watch the movie and record the episode right after we watch it mm -hmm. This time we watched the movie and then there was a solid week. Yeah, it, we're, we're a week later and it's the first time we've ever not watched the movie jump into the podcast. We've had time to like sit on this one. And I will say as much as I was like, oh, this movie is going to be terrible. Like, I hate chick flicks. I don't like this kind of movie, but the, the material or the, the reason for the movie was there. I've had a week to think about this movie and this movie wasn't bad. No, it's it's not what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. It was actually a much 
stronger film than I could have predicted. Yes. A lot more because the cast was fucking star-studded. Yeah. So, all right, before we jump into too much detail, Mm -hmm. um, allow me to give you the run-through here. So we watched, as you said, Steel Magnolias. Mm-hmm. It's a 1989 American comedy drama uh, directed by Herbert Ross um, off of a screenplay by Robert Harling, which was based on his play, Steel Magnolias. Mm-hmm. This film stars Sally Field, Dolly Parton, Shirley MacLaine, Daryl Hannah, Olymp. Olympia, Olympia Dukakis, Dukakis. Yep. Julia Roberts, with supporting roles by Tom Skerritt, Dylan McDermott, Kevin J. O'Connell, and Sam Shepard. Fuck. By today's <laughs> standards, this is like the elite of Hollywood. Yeah. This is a huge movie. This is definitely an ensemble cast. It is. Uh, this was originally released November 15th, 1989. It was made on a budget of $15 million and brought in a box office of $96.8 million. This was a huge success back huge. in the 80s. So I do have some fun facts about this movie. Okay. The title was inspired by real life. Harling said the title, Steel Magnolias, is the perfect description for women. They are both delicate like a flower, but also hard as steel. And as you've seen... In the last, what would you say, couple years with me, that girls can pretty much be made of the strongest stuff in the world, but man, can we fucking crack? Yeah, I mean, like emotionally, I am a wreck. Women, yeah, <laughs> women are like I've watched you go through a lot, so women can be extremely emotional, and their feelings and everything can get the better of them mm-hmm. from time to time, but. They're always going to persevere. They're always going to keep pushing, like, barring, obviously, the small circumstances where, like, people literally go insane. Mm -hmm. But you guys have a much higher, girls, I should say, you girls have a much higher threshold for pain and, like, even... What you can mentally endure. Yeah, you have a, a very high mental endurance, and that's something that a lot of people don't give you enough credit for honestly women are made of the strongest stuff but because people see them as women they think they're just delicate flowers that need to be protected no no we do not no like i will say this this last year we are right now currently we are october 22nd when we're recording this And this is coming out end of November. So we got a month. So it's not really that big of a... This last, like, I would say full year has been ridiculously tough. Like, 2020 was tough. 2021 was tougher. 2022 has been the toughest year. Because not only have... I kind of had to endure... um, Trying to achieve a surgery last year that I really wanted to have. But being denied. Also losing one of my best friends, trying to cope and go through that, then trying to cope with the fact that for two months I was home, not being able to walk, not being able to move, just stuck. And I had to mentally deal with all the shit that you go through in your head. Ow, ow, ow. I was stepped on. But it's something that you don't think about at the time. Like for two months, I was laid up. I could not walk. 
um, I was in a cast for eight weeks, you know, and you mentally have to deal with that too, because you don't see anybody. You don't really talk to anybody. Your only lifeline is a phone or the internet, you know? And when you are someone who has mental illness, like I do, you have to mentally deal with that too, as well. Um, and then now I'm going through recovery. Now I'm trying to heal, going through physical therapy, recovery. I still have a long way to go. And it's already been almost three and a half months. Like, it, this has been really a shitty year. But at the same time, I think watching this movie and maybe like the last five, because we've kind of like had a variety of films going on right now. Yeah. Well, our last one before this was Reanimator. And then Taxi Driver. Yeah. Like, Taxi Driver made you think Reanimator was just a fun, fucking ridiculous bullshit movie. I'm not saying I didn't love it. I do love it. <laughs> I saw his face. His face was like, Good. but this one, I wanted to throw a different movie into the mix. This one's more of a serious material and proving that, you know, with everything going on in the world, you know, everybody, you know, having their opinions about women and, and life and shit. Women are made of tough, tough stuff. Don't underestimate girls. So rant over pretty sure some of that's going to get cut. Robert Harling based this story on a true story. His sister, Suzanne Harling Robinson, died of type 1 diabetes in 1985. He wrote this play in 10 days. That's all it took because I lived this story. I think it's uh, it's also pretty cool that he also did the screenplay. Yeah. Like, so it wasn't somebody else trying to adapt his words and experiences. It was... And it felt authentic watching this movie. Yeah. Like, even the big scene is when Shelby has a low blood sugar attack and she changes. And I've 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 had a couple of low blood sugar attacks. Nothing like that. But I have type 2. Yeah. I've seen you have a couple low blood sugar attacks. But yours manifest in really bad headaches and, like, you can't see. So it, it's very different from other people. Like, ours aren't as scary. No, I, I I have never been diagnosed with low blood sugar, but it's pretty evident. Just yeah, based on um history growing up and like my my mom kind of noticing that like when I didn't have enough sugar, I would kind of get headaches and stuff. Mm. She, she kind of as, assumed that was the case, and I've been kind of just treating it as like all right, that must be what it is. Mm. So like I kind of try to live where it's like all right, I make sure I have some sugar throughout the day or if I don't have any, I'll try to have some with me yeah. just in case. We've uh, we've gotten to the habit of he has glucose tablets on him at all times. Just in case. Because as a diabetic, you've got to have little things like that. Um, we have candy in the house. Like you'd think with a type two diabetic, like, oh, you can't have that shit in the house. No, you have no idea. This is the thing with people and diabetes. People think when you're diagnosed with diabetes, you can never eat certain things ever again. It is completely the opposite thinking. You have to figure out every single day what you should and shouldn't eat. There is a day where you can have pasta, pizza, candy, and you're fine. The next day, your body doesn't want any of that. It's rejecting it. It wants fruits. It's vegetables, this and that. You could have a day where you're like, oh, I don't want any sugar. Like, I really want to eat healthy. But you have to have sugar because you have a low blood sugar attack. Right. Like diabetes is something that you you can't get really cured. You have to maintain for the rest of your life. 
And the new medication I'm on, while it is a, to me, for what it's done for me, I think it's a miracle. I went from having, I'm not afraid to tell people what my blood sugar was in March when we went to the doctor in the beginning of March, it was 9.3. And the doctor was like, okay, we got to come up with a plan. We got to figure this out. So he put me on Ozempic, like at a quarter of a dose, a quarter of a milligram a week. And it was doing okay. It was doing okay. But when I went out for the surgery in July, when I saw him, he was in June, he was like, okay, we're going to increase it. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to try and help. Um, my blood sugar was still the same then. But when did we go? Beginning of October, right before um, I had, we had a couple of weddings to go to. I dropped it down to 6.4. That's incredible. This medication for diabetics, Ozempic, true, uh, true, truly, I think, is the other one. They work. These, di- these diabetic medications are really good, but it also has tied in with eating better, trying to move more as much as I can because I still can't move very well. I did 6,000 steps at the mall the other day and I thought I was going to die the next day. Like I was in pain for like 24 hours, but these medications really work. They do wonders. Um, and that's why I can kind of do the things I do, but they mimic the surgery. You do have weight loss and even you can attest that since I've been on this medication, my weight has gone down. I've struggled with my weight all my life. I was almost 500 pounds at one time. When I was 26 years old, I was 20, I was almost 500 pounds. You know, I'm 37 years old now, 37. I say it out loud and it's weird. I'm like, is that right? 37 years old now. And I'm just getting under 300 pounds. It's like the first time in like, I'd say 10 years. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of incredible, but at the same time, like these medications come with severe side effects. I am nauseous constantly. My stomach hurts after eating certain things. If I don't get enough water, I feel like shit. Like, I have headaches. It's no joke. Like, don't mess with these medications. And I've seen people, I've heard people say like, oh, I'm taking it for weight loss. Don't do that. Like, these medications have fucked up my GI system, like, terribly. I'm on pill medic, two pill medications. I'm on kidney support. I'm on liver support. Like... Don't mess with these medications. I must. How many pills do I take a day? At least 20. I've lost count. Like, it's ridiculous. So this movie was just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I want to torture Sean by watching, making him watch like this feel good, like romp about ladies. And then it, we kind of looked at each other at one point and went, shit, this movie's a lot different than I thought. (laughs) Um, So enough about me. Back to this. Uh, Meg Ryan was originally approached to play Shelby. I like Julia Roberts better because she's America's sweetheart at this point. Yes. I don't think she played Pretty Woman until the 90s. So she was still like that little Miss Next Door kind of image because Mystic Pizza, I think, was in the 80s, too. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because apparently, so like the cast, I guess, had a lot of issues with um, Herbert Ross Mm. throughout this production. So like uh, one example was that after a, a poor take, he reprimanded Dolly Parton ask, like asking her if she could even act. And being Dolly Parton, she replied to him, no, but it's your job to make me look like I can. Right? <laughs> and uh, the reason I bring this up is because uh, another example that's listed here is that at one point he was... He asked the, basically singled out Julia Roberts 
um, to the point where, like, at, berating her, like, asking her if she couldn't act, if she could even act, and, like, it got to the point where she would just be left in tears. Like... And this is I, Harding? This is... Harding? Uh, Herbert Ross. Okay, oh, Herbert the Ross. Director, okay, the director, not the director. All right. But it's just weird to to think that because watching the movie Julia Roberts did a great job I don't know what the fuck Julia Roberts did an amazing job especially in the scene where Shelby tells her mother she's pregnant yeah that was a a hell of a scene I mean like I think this is a good place to kind of just begin this like getting into this movie is Mm. like let's just talk about this cast yes because they all do an incredible job like literally from start to finish there's not a dull moment Sally Fields Sally Fields was in fucking everything Sally Fields stole this movie Sally Fields has a monologue at the end the very end of this movie that had me in tears it fucking shakes you to your core it does because it literally is how many times have I acted like that? I'm fine. Don't worry. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Snap. And then you just fall apart. And you lose it. And then something happens and you start to laugh and you come back and you're like, no, I am fine. That scene. And still now it shakes you like that scene convinced me that I'm like, well, if this woman is at the lowest point of her life. And she can just start laughing with her friends. Maybe things will be okay. Well, to be fair, like her, her reactions throughout that scene are absolutely perfect. Hundred percent like, valid. Hundred percent. She's she's trying to be strong. She's trying not to hide her emotion. Uh, she's trying not to show her emotions throughout the whole thing. But you just lost your daughter. Like you're obviously not okay. And like. She even showcases like her, the anger, like and the the questioning why, like why it wasn't it me? Why couldn't I be there? You're not supposed to die before your kids. It's fucking beautiful, like, and it's it's something that everybody can relate to. Yeah, because like it's not just oh I lost my daughter to a disease. It's like I lost my child. I lost. Well, essentially what I think is they had a kind of like a mother and daughter, but they also had a best friend relationship. They really, truly did. They're, they were very good friends. They told each other everything. And you could see that once Malin was her name now that I'm looking at it. Um, once Malin like really was okay with Shelby. All right, Shelby's going to do this. She's going to have a kid. It's like probably the worst thing she could do, but that's fine. You know, the doctors told her she shouldn't have children. It's going to be hard on her body, but she's stubborn. She's going to do what she wants. She's a woman. She did it. And Malin was 100% in. But it, it, it really does make you think, like, we are not having children. No. We are not doing that. But this is shit that we would not be able to deal with. I wouldn't be able to deal with that. I would. Nope. Done. You lose a kid. Ah, uh, You've you've lost friends. You've lost family. I've lost friends. I've lost family. I can't handle that. No. The 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 mental like thought of you have something, you raise this child, and then all of a sudden it gets sick and it dies. Oh no. And that that's actually something I'm I was wondering 
when once it got to that point in the movie, like so after that happens and I think it's after the funeral as well mm-hmm. uh, they actually show Sally Field go and pick up her grandson oh no it's not after the funeral it's before the funeral before the funeral but yeah. after she passes she goes and picks up her grandson and she's like holding him I almost like for like half a second I was wondering if they were gonna do something where she would you know how some people like they react differently to that loss so it's like you're the thing that technically caused her death. Yeah. Like, I, I was wondering if they were going to go there. I'm glad they didn't, because I no, don't think she, it would have worked. she held on to that little boy even harder, because it's like, this is what I've got left to my daughter. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that. Like, if you're... If you are someone who, if your child passes away and they were lucky enough to have kids before they pass, you hold on to those children a lot harder. Yeah. Because it's like this... that That little bit of her... Is in is in that child, and one of the com- one of the quotes. I know we're going for like talking about the cast and the quotes, but we'll go through a run like the synopsis of this movie, cut and dry. It's, it's very, very very quick, straightforward. It's very straightforward, but I want to talk about the contents of the movie more. One of the lines that she says during her monologue was, "I'm very lucky. I was here when that creature came into life, and I held her hand as she left. I'm very lucky that I was there for every moment." And it's like. That's an interesting way to think about it. It's a really interesting way because if you think about it, you gave that child life and you held her hand as she left. It's it's, like, ooh. It's kind of funny because, like, most of the time, like, we're instilled very early on that the idea that a parent should never have to bury their child. A parent should never have to see their child die. It's their... It's supposed to be the other way around. Like mm-hmm. you bring a child into the world, and then that child watches you leave it, kind of structure. Yeah. But who technically says it's supposed to be that way? Like, yeah, logistically it makes sense because you're old. The parent would be older, mm. so that you should out the child should outlive you. But why can't you find the beauty in the fact that you got to bring this life into the world mm. and you got to enjoy? It's life all the way to the end and then be there with it when it left. Yeah. Like that. There's something kind of beautiful about that. It immediately made me think of my friend Joe. Yeah. Because, you know, his parents were there when he was born and knowing that his parents were there when he left. Like that was my biggest thing I remember sending saying to you was, okay, someone was there with him. It broke my heart that his wife couldn't be there. His wife never made it, but his parents were there. And it's like they watched him come into the world and he was born with a lot of complications. I mean, a there's an obituary in Boston of him being a day old and being dead. He was not dead. He he survived. <laughs> but we always <laughs> joke like, "Oh, you're you're dead. You're like a zombie. It's fine." But, you know, he they were there through the whole thing, and they were told, "Oh, you'd be lucky if he makes it to this age, to this age, to this age." And there's more it's to like, that story. He made story, it to 39. But... That's amazing for the conditions that he had, you know. Yeah, th- there's more to that story, but we're not going to get into uh, it here because no, no. that's not our place. <sighs> so back on track with the cast. Dolly Parton plays Truvy Jones. I liked Dolly in this. I've seen Nine to Five with. Um, oh my god. Have you ever watched 9 to 5? No, I haven't. 9 to 5 is a funny one. I don't think we'd do it for the podcast. I'd make you watch that just because it's hilarious. It's from the 80, mid-80s. I think Dolly Parton's a great actress. 
I think she brings that Southern charm, that Southern Tennessee charm that really should. Um, she plays our um, town beautician. Um, her husband is Spud and her son is Louie. She is the town gossip. You want gossip? You go to Truvy. And Shirley MacLaine is Louisa Weezer Boudreaux. She is the town grump. Miserable bitch. Basically, yeah. She's just grumpy with a fucking St. Bernard anywhere she goes. She probably had to be one of my favorite characters, like plot development wise, because by the end, you can see that she's not a miserable bitch all the time. Like, she's just had a hard life. Yeah. Which, I mean, it makes sense. Mm. I think she offsets the cast really well. Yeah. She's, she, you would think that she wouldn't be the comedic, um, kind of character, but she is. She brings the most comedy, even though she's the grump the yeah. whole time. Daryl Hannah plays Anel du- Dupai DeSoto. She's the newcomer. She gets hired by Truvy. She mar- marries Bunky. Honey. What did we discover about Bunky? So, when I when we first saw oh no, not Bunky. What did we What did we learn about Sammy DeSoto? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so when we first saw Sammy, he so we're introduced to him at the wedding scene. During yeah. the wedding scene, he's working as like the the bartender. Bartender, I, I yeah. He seems a little creepy, and you're like, oh, okay. You're a little. But, like the second I saw him, I was like, I know that fucking face. I don't know how, but I know that face. And it was something about his eyes. The eyes got me. I was like, wait a minute. What? What? And then the moment it fucking clicked in my head and I looked it up to make sure, all I could think was, holy fucking shit, it's Benny. Because <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me and I'm like, you were like, it's this guy. I'm like, who? You were like, oh, God, no. Looks, Looks like to me like I've got all the horses. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. This man, like, I mean, this would have been 10, 12 years prior to that. So different. He's a little chubbier in this movie. And he's like, he's more filled out because um, Benny is such a scrawny, skinny kind of like pathetic character. Yeah. But this guy, uh, Sammy, is like more filled out, Southern. So you go from kind of like the Egyptian Arabic accent to this Southern drawl. I'm like, yeah. this feels wrong. So the the actor we're talking about is Kevin J. O'Connell. Yep. And he plays Benny Wait a minute, his in. His last name is O'Connell? Yes. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, O'Connor. Oh. Okay, all right. O'Connell would have been funny. He plays Benny, in, uh, Benny Gabber. In the, mu- the last name in the mummy with Brendan Fraser, like, and it's it was so fucking funny because in this move in this movie he's much more like he's not as gaunt and frail as he is in the mummy. He's actually a little chubbier, and he it, it's weird. He's almost unrecognizable, which I thought was really cool. Seeing him throughout the movie, I'm like. That character, Benny, and this character, Sammy, so very different that if you hadn't pointed out, I would have been like, oh, he kind of seems familiar. I wouldn't have, it would have never clicked, ever. No, he looks very different. Very, very different. How the hell they went from making him a Southern American gentleman to a Egyptian, like, um, Arabic, Middle Eastern. What are you doing? Hey, 
You're gonna get yelled at now too. But yeah, that that one was the surprise of this film, besides like the entirety of the cast. Um, Olympia Dukakis plays Clary Belcher. She seems like she's the rich lady in town. She's got all the money in the world. She gets her hair done once a week, gabs with her friends. She's best friends with Weezer. Seems like a love-hate relationship at times, because man, oh man, do these two go at each other's throats. It's, uh, it's actually funny. Uh, that was one of my favorite little elements. It's like such a small thing in the movie, it really doesn't matter at all. Mm. But like early on, they're talking. you learn that she has a lot of money by having this conversation about how she should buy the radio, the radio station, station in town. And then there's a time jump later in the movie and you learn that she did buy she it. She bought the radio station. <laughs> it's really cool. Cut to the weirdest scene in the world about her talking about the football team and her and Weezer are in the locker room and they're watching naked men watch around, walk around. And I'm sitting there going, what is this movie? Why are there naked men? What is happening? Full naked men. You do not see peen, but that is a lot of ass. A lot of man ass. For a movie that I enjoyed the man ass, I do not think Sean enjoyed the man ass. I, I could have done without it. <laughs> Look, you got all the tits you wanted last week in Reanimator. Listen. You even got a full frontal Barbara Crampton. I didn't hear you complaining. I didn't complain one bit. <laughs> I also looked up her Playboy nudes afterwards. Woohoo! I ain't hiding the fact that I By the way, I Barbara, have... tasteful. <laughs> I almost was like, I'd like a tasteful. No, oh, no. Oh, oh. Reel it back. <laughs> Reel it back. Oh, shit. Uh, let's see. Susan, Hardling's sister, helped write the hit me scene. Here's the quote from the Today the Today Show um, article I'm reading. In one famous scene, as Sally Field's character, Malin, mourns the death of her daughter, the character Clary, played by Olympia, offers another friend in the group for Malin to hear it. Here, hit this, Clary says. Harling said he wrote the scene by channeling his sister after a bout of writer's block. Channeling his sister after a bout of writer block of writer's block. I said, what would Susan do? And what would Su- what Susan and what Susan would do would be outrageous, he said. She would do something completely inappropriate and totally out of the box. So Clary grabbing Weezer and telling Malin, here, hit this, Malin, do something good one for once in your life and let her hit you. It was the moment that broke that tense monologue up and made me die laughing. What's that face for? That cemetery scene was filmed in one take. I would believe that. Fucking hell. (laughs) Sally Fields. Okay, growing up, the only movie I really ever saw with Sally Fields is Mrs. Doubtfire. And we all remember how she acted when she found out Daniel was Mrs. Doubtfire. And seeing how much passion that woman has, just in a movie like that. She pours a lot into every role. So much. Like, even, uh, she's in, what the hell is she in recently? Um. She wasn't, we watched something recently with her in it, didn't we? Oh my god. Hang on. I got the AMDB up. I need a physical discography. discography oh, 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 she, she plays Aunt May in the, the yep. Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Aunt May, okay. Even in those I've never seen them. 
Even so. in those, her performance is above and beyond. Like yeah. there's no need for her to be that good, but she is. It's like she can't turn it off. She seems like one of those people when she decided she wanted to be an actress, it was that's it. My heart goes into this. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And every single time I see her in anything, she is delivering 110%. Like there are some of things here that I didn't know she was in. Forrest Gump, she played Forrest's mom. Yeah. She was very intense in that one. Soap Dish, Murphy's Romance, Kiss Me Goodbye, Absence of Malice, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Places in My Heart, Norma Ray, Heroes, Hooper, The End, Stay Hungry. These are movies. Um, Moon Pilot was her debut in 1962. Damn. This woman has been acting for a very long time. Still killing it. Might I add, this was four years ago. She don't look any different than she did in the 90s. No, she looks great. She looks amazing. 75 years old. Go, Miss Sally Fields. Um, then we get to Julia Roberts as Shelby. Julia did an amazing job. I mean, I don't even think she was that old at this point. No, it, oh, she sells that first diabetic attack where they're in the salon. Holy shit. Oh my God. Like, I thought she was having a fucking seizure. And like, it was she intense. Her, her mental state changes too, where she's like, no, no, I won't do it. And at the end, she's like, mama, I'm so sorry. I did it again. I'm so sorry. And you've seen me when I get like a higher low blood sugar. You change. You do. You, I, I, I can't. I, I really wish I could describe it. I wish I could describe what goes on. It's like an out of body experience. That's it. Yours aren't They're anywhere nowhere near like that. that bad. But like, I can relate to when you're not feeling good. Like any kind of, and I, I I'm going to say it. Diabetes is a chronic illness. It is because you. From what I understand, I was told by one doctor, we'll cure it. I was told by another, it's not curable. It will never go away. You're doing this for the rest of your life. That's fine. Set up realistic expectation. If if I'm doing this for the rest of my life, now I have multiple chronic illnesses. Surprise. Who's shocked, you know? (laughs) But it is really, really hard to accept that out-of-body experience when in your head you're going, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Just do this, do this. And this irrational part of you changes like even when your blood sugar gets low you get grumpy you get hangry you get headaches you change and even you've said i i'm sorry i i just i just need i need to do this i i it changes who you are so watching that scene it's like oh i better never get to that point holy shit like that's rough Type one diabetes is no fucking joke. You have you, 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 you insulin is non-existent in your body. You can't do shit. Like at least I still have some. Don't leave me insulin. <laughs> Don't leave me. Oh, uh, let's see. And then we have the supporting cast, which is pretty much all the dudes. We have Tom Skerritt who plays um, Sally Field's husband. Fucking funny as hell. Oh, Opening so scene great. of the movie, he's shooting birds out of trees. That one of my notes here is like literally this movie starts off with a bang because he's literally <laughs> outside shooting birds, well shooting up into the air so that he can scare birds away from the area. And then he and his sons, um, Malin takes his gun away and hides it because Weezer's dog is having a panic attack. So she's like, "Don't worry, there won't be any more gunshots." So he and his sons strap fucking fireworks to arrows and shoot them into the trees and boom, 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 boom. They just make it worse. Dude, it's fucking... This, the beginning of this movie is like just utter chaos because it's like all of this crazy shit is happening 
in the hours leading up to a wedding. To a wedding. Which is already chaotic. <laughs> it's just maddening. We need to talk about the fashion in this wedding. Listen. <laughs> hand goes up, goes, listen. listen. I, don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> One of my other notes here is what the fuck is this wedding? So... It's like Barbie and Ken shit out this blush and bashful drape nightmare. My colors are blush and bashful. Your colors are throw up and Pepto-Bismol. Like, it is terrible. They even comment, like, your colors are pink and pink. Your colors are pink and There's two different shades of pink. Like, what the fuck? The dresses are full skirts, ruffles, the big old puff on the shoulders with bows, and matching pink hats. And I went, I would have hung myself in the dress off the banister at the bride's house. No, thank you. I am so thankful that bridesmaids dresses now. I was just in a wedding. It was a spaghetti strap lace top with a nice skirt. It had a slit in the leg where my my freaking... Um, brace was so you know that was sexy with a brace on my leg where the slit was but they're nice dresses they're flowy they're comfortable sure it was a wedding in october it was a little cold but i would never want to wear these 1970s 1980s like bridesmaids gown and she had like eight bridesmaids oh my god it's fucking crazy matching dresses and her wedding dress was gorgeous, though. It was kind of ruffly with some bows and a little poofy, but it was tasteful. And I'm like, why do you put the bridesmaids in these dresses that you wouldn't even put your porcelain dolls hiding to make in the her closet? Look better. In? That was the point of, of bridesmaids, wasn't it? To be like, put them in the ugliest thing, give them all the pink <laughs> makeup, make them look hideous so I look beautiful. Um, oh, God. The So, honestly, the first half of this movie drags us through this like lead up to the wedding the wedding itself mm-hmm. which is kind of good because it get, gives us time to get familiar with all the characters they throw you right into the characters you know once you see these characters on screen like when Weezer first comes in you're like oh that's the town grump when you meet Malin, you're like, okay, she's the high-strung mom. And you meet Shelby, she's the carefree daughter. You meet Dolly Parton's character, and you're like, oh, she's the gossip. Because right away, she starts like, oh, are you my, are you my new uh, apprentice? Come on in. You don't want to talk to this one. You want to talk to this one. This one will give you a good gossip. Like, automatically. And you get a feeling for the characters first 15 minutes. You know exactly who you're dealing with. And even the smaller characters. Like, you, you understand who, what kind of person the dad is. You understand yep. what kind of person her brothers her brothers are they go from these trickster stupid kids to by the end of this film they're adults they are like just adults coping or these two kids coping with the death of their sister yeah like you watch everyone change for better or for worse you know haha <laughs> because it's a wedding scene in the beginning <laughs> um <laughs> one of my favorite things about the wedding was they were talking about the groom's cake which is a tradition that doesn't happen anymore. Groom's no. cakes were a big thing back then, where the groom got a cake um, for the reception, and the and the bride and the bridal cake was something different. Groom cake was a armadillo cake that was gray on the outside and blood red on the inside. And then they showed the cake in the scene, and you're like, "That is a red cake." Yeah, it literally looks like that. It's roadkill. They're like eating roadkill. It's brutal. And they were talking about how, oh, his aunt made it, and you introduced the aunt, and then Weezer's like, mm, "Okay, sure." At the end, that becomes the aunt that the son stays with. Yeah. And that's the character that you realize would do anything for her nephew, which Shelby is marrying. Which brings us to 
Jackson, who is played by Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott and holy young Dylan, Dylan McDermott. Yeah, I, I swooned a little. I went, oh, oh, hi. <laughs> I don't think I really got familiar with Dylan McDermott as an actor until... American like his, Horror it, Story. That's what I know. That, there was some other stuff before that, but like until his, he got older and like yeah. more experienced, and like so seeing, looking back and seeing him now in like these parts when he's younger is actually kind of interesting because like he's always been the older, gruffer. Oh, uh, what was the show? He was on a show. Hang on, I saw Dark Blue. I think is the name of it. Dark Blue. Yeah, he, it's a show about um, undercover cops, and he, like, so think of it like, um, like, it's like he he is like this undercover cop, and he's he forms a team of undercover cops, like a small team, and they they are trying to like crack down on all these like drug ring, like narcotics rings and stuff like that, and it was such a fucking good show, and he put his character in it was fucking he was like the. Carter Shaw. Is that was that his name? That was literally right before Murder House. Oh, was it? That was a year before Murder House. That show that's where I think I really got to like started getting interested in his career. Mm. Cuz like I loved him in that show. The other show that I know him from is I'm looking here, The Practice. He was in The Practice for 147 episodes. That was a um I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, it was a legal drama back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That's why I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Practice, Boston Legal, they were all that. I, I liked that. ER, I liked all those shows. Yeah, that was never my but thing. But the first time I ever saw him was Murder House. So seeing him there, I was like, oh my God, he was good looking as a young guy. Like, really good looking. So good looking. I'm sitting here going, how the hell did Julia Roberts' character bag him? And then he opened his mouth and he's got that southern drawl. I'm like, oh, there, oh, it, there is. it is. <laughs> um, let's see. We've got a lot of other cast members that, you know, just normal people, but that was that's the star-studded cast in this. Yeah. And it is. I'm gonna say it now before we even get to closing questions. This is one you should see. Just for the cast alone. Yeah, I think. I think the performances throughout this entire movie are top notch. People might sit there and be like, oh, Steel Magnolias, that's a chick flick. Uh, It really, I mean, yeah. Like, this is definitely, it falls along the lines of something you'd probably see on, like, Lifetime. It's not Beaches. I mean, Beaches is a chick flick. It's a real, like, it's one of those movies that is meant to hit you emotionally. Yeah. And generally, a lot of people lump those into chick flicks because... Netflix oh, try to tug at the heartstrings. Yeah. Um, something I do want to mention about this one is it it t- covers a lot of ground. So like this movie, like yeah, it starts you in the middle of this wedding, and like almost the first half of it is all about that moment. But then it like does a big time jump where uh, we see it's like closer to Christmas time and. Uh, Daryl Hannah's character, who we just saw just join the group. She was very meek and mousy. Is now much more comfortable. She's been around for a while. Like, she's knows the town better. She's like, she kind of mimics Truvy's character, Dolly Parton's character. She's like, kind of... <sighs> Which makes sense, because she's spending a lot of time with I want to say promiscuous. I want to say she's letting loose. She's having fun. Yeah. And then we do another t- t- um, jump, and she's completely... Devout Baptist. 
Yeah, that was that was a weird one. And it, it, <laughs> it definitely shows you that, you know, you find out in the beginning of the movie that she her husband that she was married to is in trouble, real serious trouble with the law. And she pretty much is estranged from him now. She's going well, through a divorce. Well, he up and left her. Yeah, sure, so what she said. She went to, to a new town. She got a new job. Like, she's trying to have a new life. And you can see it's definitely her going through the motions of, like, trying to find herself now. Because she is very young, you can tell. They, uh... I think this is one of those movies that definitely is trying to hit a lot of points that are very close to home to a lot of people. Mm. So it's like you're dealing with the subject of like diabetes mm-hmm. and the effects that that can have on not not just a person, but the family, the family. Um, you're dealing with uh, like Daryl Hannah's character, like her husband left her. She kind of had to start her life over by yeah. herself. Um but it also it's dealing with themes of like friendship, uh, even through the hardest times. Yeah, like, like it's like Clary's character. Her husband passes away, so now she's alone again. It's her second husband, and now she, what is she going to do? And that's when they suggest, oh, you should buy the radio station. You should find something new to do. But she still has Weezer, who's her best friend, who's also been through two or three husbands and has had a different life than her friend. Um. So. Something I was asking myself while we watched this, I was mm-hmm. like, because for a while in this movie, I didn't understand what was like, why this any of this was important. Like, what, why are we watching this? So, my question to you is, what exactly is the point? So, the point of watching this movie was when I first saw the clips of this. No, 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 that's. I think you misunderstand. Okay. What is the point of the movie? Not why did we watch oh, it. Oh, what is the point? Okay. Yeah. What what like is the the mantra of the movie? Like what am I getting out of the movie? Yes. Okay. It does not matter what happens in your life. It will move on. Bad things will happen, good things will happen. You will cry, you will laugh. You will go through the highest highs and the lowest lows. But as long as you surround yourself with people that you truly care about and that truly care about you, doesn't matter friends or family, you will get through anything. The point of the movie was, so the the motto I got from that movie was that, and I kind of relate that to real life because life's been shit the last three years, let's all be honest. Yeah. This movie is kind of a reminder to me, the motto was a reminder to me that You'll be fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. That's what I got from this. Okay. Why did I make us watch it? Because I wanted to torture you <laughs> with a movie, and I really had never seen this. So to me, I was like, oh, there's a couple of little things that seem serious, but it seems like, you know, this movie might be one that you're like, I hated this. I want to die. When this turned off, because we watched this before we watched Halloween Ends, I was like, let's watch this first. Let's torture ourselves first. It, it ended. We looked at each other and went, shit, that wasn't bad. <laughs> no, like, and uh, I feel like the like the point that I got from it mm. was that it's a, basically what you were saying. Like, it's a story of a group of women who've been through it all, come out stronger, Um because they stuck through it together, um, it showcases friendship through hardship. Like yeah. it's, it's in a way, 
it's almost like you could say it's a character study, but rather than a character study of one person, it's a character study of a group of friends. Yeah. And it's, it, I don't know, like it definitely was better than I expected. Yeah. We all have this sort of group of friends. We surround ourselves with these type of people. You have the the Malin character who's very not high strung, but very family oriented, very things have to be done a certain way. You have your Truvy character who's always there if you're in a pinch and always there to tell you like, oh, did you hear what happened to this person or this person? She was there for a good time. You have the um, the Anna. Oh, crap. The Anna. What the fuck is her name? Anna. Annalie? Annalie. Annalie? I, for, I wanted to call her Annabelle the whole time. But Daryl Hannah's character, yeah. who's, you know, changes with the times. Like, they come into the group as one way, but they either change for the good or the bad. But, you know, they need people to be around. You've got the Weezer character, who is grumpy, but always there for a good time. And the Clary character that, you know... Knows exactly how to push your buttons. Always does, but ends up, you know, what are friends for? We yeah. all have these type of people. You know, whether it's a big group of friends or a small group of friends. We either have them or we are them. <laughs> what kind, which which character do you think you are in your group of friends? Realistically? Realistically. I'm probably Weezer. I don't think you're Weezer. I don't know. I'm pretty, like, <laughs> grumpy. You're not grumpy. Okay, from the outside looking in, you're quiet. Sean is quiet, but he's, I know him on a different level than you guys do. He hates me right now. (laughs) Um, But I see the, I found tapes and I'll never shut up about it. And this is cool. And this is cool. And this is awesome. And I loved it. Like, I see a very different Sean. Um, Not that I don't love it when he talks about tapes. I do. I love it. That's not how that was meant to come out. But I see a different person. All my other friends are like, oh, Sean's always quiet. What is he thinking about his death? I wish I was joking. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how he thinks. But around certain friends, you're different. So when we're hanging out with our friends, Matt and Jess, you know, and them, you're different. You interact. You interact in the conversation. When I'm with like Alicia and Liz and all them, you're a little more quiet, you know, but well, it depends on the group you're with. When you're with Christine and Andy and Andrew, you're so much more different well all right so that comes from and yeah i'm gonna diverge a little here but that's fine diverge that comes from this mentality that i've developed and it's not necessarily a healthy one but no it's it's, not it's one i can't really break Mm -hmm. where I, i i've dealt with a lot of different types of people throughout like my career aspirations and everything to where I've kind of developed this thought process of if you don't have anything to add to the conversation, don't bother. Because like it, most people, I, I'm a very realistic person. And mm-hmm. most I've noticed that most people in the world are either don't give a shit what you have to say or are just waiting for their turn to talk. So they're not listening. So... It's kind of left me with this mentality of like, why the fuck am I going to bother talking? Because nobody's going to fucking listen anyway, which kind of is a con- oxymoron because we're sitting here making a podcast for people that probably aren't listening. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but honestly, the people that we hang out with want your input more than you probably understand. They like you. 
are friends like you. Uh, it's just how I've become over the years. I'm trying to break him out of it because we're trying to get him to network more, mingle more, meet more people, you know. It doesn't help that I'm very observant as well. You are very observant and I've kind of taken that characteristic from you when I hang out with certain people. Um... And I try to watch more than I talk. Around certain friends, I don't care. But around other people, I observe more. And I'm kind of liking your mentality of observing. <laughs> talking well, around some people. It's not even just like, yes, I like to observe and take take it in. Take in the situation. But at the same time, I by observing, I can tell when people tune out. Yeah. So it's like if you're talking about something and then... You can literally see the moment when somebody's brain the light go out of their eyes shifts into yeah. like, I'm not listening anymore. Fuck you. So, like, I've been in so many situations where it's like I'm in the middle of talking about something and I see it happen and it's just like, why the fuck am I even talking? Yeah, I know. Like, it, it kills me, but that's it, it's how I am, unfortunately. Now, which one of these characters do you think I am? I would say probably. Probably Sally Field, Malin. if anything. Yeah, I'm Malin without the kid. Yeah, but you're like that very much like weird, like, high strung, mm. detail oriented person. Which a lot of my friends wouldn't know that I'm very high strung about certain things because I don't I don't let certain friends know what type of person I am. But you know, for the fourth time this week, I had to rearrange my K-pop shelf because it was annoying me. That, to do. that yeah but that, that's where you have problems like it's not my brain went it's not perfect you have to fix it why does it look like this like there's stuff on the top of the shelf obviously we have two cats and they will kill everything so i have to put certain things higher yeah um i hate it because it's a mess right now and it literally i'm in a new angle in the apartment because i was tired of sitting on the chair on the bed so i'm in our my little book nook area of the apartment covered in vhs tapes i wish i was joking VHS tapes everywhere over here. I'm sorry, is that a problem? Soon there's going to be towers hiding me. <laughs> I'm going to be able to build a fort of tapes. Is that a problem? Tape fort. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the problem. I'm going to get the super glue and glue them into a little house. I'll fucking kill you. Well, it would only be the boxes. You'll be fine. No! <laughs> I love it when he gets mad. The passion. Um, But yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I was like, I'm not... I'm not Dolly Parton's character. I'm not too gossipy. Obviously, if I have a story, I'm going to tell it. Yeah. But, you know, I kept uh, I kept a good secret about two of my friends being married secretly for a year. I told you, but, you know, that's different. We're we're one person. Yeah, who the fuck was I going to tell? Yeah, who are you going to say anything to? Um, I would say with our friends Andy, Andrew, and Christine, I am not Malin. No. No, I'm not. No, no, no. You're... That's a different dynamic yeah. with the three of them. <laughs> that one, I have to attribute How I Met Your Mother to all five of us. Yeah. I yeah, could, yeah, that's a How I Met Your Mother situation. We can't use this movie against them because we are... I would love to have saying here and now, because I know they're not listening, we're going to drag their asses onto this podcast and pick a movie and all five of us are going to talk about it. Because I would love to hear what their kind of a character. setup do you think we have here? Um, one that Christine will just be in the background going, ah, the whole fucking time. Yeah, I clipped it when I pushed the mic away. And I wish I was joking because that's how she would act the whole time. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> You're laughing because I'm correct. Oh, my God. We should make her watch that fucking Thanksgiving movie. Oh, that, that would be funny. 
<laughs> All right, back on track. So this movie's very cut and dry. I don't even have to read through the synopsis. I can do it right here. Synopsis of this whole movie, I can do it pretty cl- cut dry. I've said that twice. I think my brain just reset. Sorry, kids. Um, we open the movie with Malin and getting prepared for Shelby's wedding. It's a little chaotic. Chaotic. They're getting everything prepared. It's the wedding's being done at a church. Reception's at the house, so they're trying to get everything done. Kids, uh, the teenage boys, Shelby's brothers, are running around like crazy. Shelby's dad's shooting birds out of trees. Weezer comes over, and she hates Shelby's dad absolutely. So she's torturing him. Um, the whole title of the movie is because they stole the magnolias off of magnolia tree and threw them in the pool to make the pool look nice. That's the whole, that's the whole title of the the movie right there. Um, Shelby and Malin go to Truvy's salon. They get their hair done for the wedding. That's where Shelby has her diabetic attack. We find out that she can't, she shouldn't have, not that she can't have children. She shouldn't have children because of her health. Cut to the wedding. It was a beautiful ceremony. Um, That's when Daryl Hannah's character meets um, Sammy and they kind of start a relationship um, we have a time skip to Christmas. Oh, they wish Shelby and Jackson a good marriage. Brothers cover the car in condoms. It's a Buick LeSabre from the 1980s, and it's covered in blown up condoms, which was fucking hilarious. My favorite line at that point was, well, it- many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. At least we know that you guys can have safe sex. I thought that was amusing coming out of Malin's mouth. I was like, well, she's got a humor. Um, Times skip to uh, Christmas where there is a Christmas festival every year that they have. Fun fact, this Christmas Christmas festival in... I'm going to butcher this name. It's spelled N-A-T-C-H-I-T-O-C-H-E-S. This is a real town in Louisiana where this was filmed. Notch... Itosis? Probably wrong. This was a real festival that the real life Susan went to every year. She loved the Christmas festival, which was the first weekend in every December. She never missed it. So that was a real festival he made to put in there. Um, The festival was filmed in August. It was 100 to 110 degrees. And watching this movie, they were in parkas, sweaters, and fur coats. God. They must Damn. have been dying. And... Um, Dolly Parton and Daryl Hannah's character was in the roasted nut stand. So they're around roasted fire yep. fires, roasting nut. They must have been sweating they their ass off dying. or tits off, as we know Dolly Parton. 
Um, <laughs> but that festival was real. Um, at that point, they go to the festival. Shelby goes home to Malin. She lets her know that she's pregnant. The most famous line in the whole movie that this whole thing is based off of um, is, I would rather have... I think it's, I would rather have 60 seconds of something than a lifetime of nothing. And it's a very important line in a movie to somebody who knows that they have an expiration date or yeah. they have a limited amount of time with the way they are. Um, Malin doesn't like the fact that she's pregnant. They fight, whatever, boom, boom, boom. Time skip to, I believe she has the baby. It's the baby's first birthday. They're celebrating. They're having a good time. Family's doing great. Um, we see that. Daryl Hannah's character and Sammy are living together, but she's become really much a very devout Baptist. She prays all the time. People are getting concerned about her, but, you know, there's neither here nor there. Girls gossip at the the salon. Nothing crazy. Uh, time skip again to when uh, Jackson Jr. is a little boy. He's like a year old. A year old. Say. And we find out that Shelby is on dialysis because her kidneys just couldn't handle it when she was pregnant with Jackson. So she's on dialysis and she decides to cut her hair off completely because it will be easier. And it was a turning point in the movie of Shelby realizing I'm not young anymore. I have to let go and I have to become something that, you know, is simpler, is easier to help me. A uh, little bit of a time skip. We find that Shelby's struggling a little that day. Um, you know, she's, you know, kind of a little weak, a little weary. But you, you're, you as the audience are like, oh, what's happening? But she doesn't think anything of it. Uh, a couple hours later, Big Jackson, her husband, comes home and finds her passed out on the floor outside. Cut to she's in a medical coma. She's not going to wake up. They have to pull the plug. I honestly wasn't expecting Julie Roberts to die in this movie. <laughs> I was expecting it from knowing the end scene. Yeah. That I knew, but you had never obviously seen that part. I didn't, I've never seen this. I've never looked into it. Yeah. Um, then we have the famous graveyard scene that tells you exactly, you know, what they've been going through. Cut to the next scene. It is Easter again. When Daryl Hannah's character comes into the movie, it is Easter. And they're getting the Easter eggs ready for the church. Yeah. Whole scene with Weezer. It's fucking funny. Watch the movie. I laughed. Um, there's a lot of things in this movie, like a lot of the the comedy and a lot of the seriousness. I really don't want to give away a lot of it because I want people to see this one. Well, people should watch it. Um, cut to at the end where Daryl Hannah's character is nine months pregnant with Sammy's baby. They're at the Easter festival. You know, um, Jackson Jr. is probably about a year or so more older. He's so talking, like he's two, walking, like three. two, three. And you see the cycle of life come back where she finds out, oh no, my water broke. Let's get her to the hospital. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's happy. Yeah, the movie ends with them rushing to rushing the hospital. Rushing her to the hospital because um, here comes a new life. At one point, she does tell Malin, if it's a girl, we're naming her Shelby. If it's a boy, we'll probably name it Shelby too. It's fine, but it's it's just that moment of like it's a it's this big old circle that's great. Yeah, movie the plot, like the actual plot of how it goes through, very cut and dry. That's it. Like there isn't like some big dramatic happenstance. No, it is a movie that I know we do a lot of like really odd movies. We've done a lot of cool stuff. This is one that I wish people will watch because. You got to see the the spectrum of films. 
like this is on a different spectrum of what we've done. This wouldn't be in a grindhouse. This, no. this th- no, but this is a movie that if you walk into Blockbuster in the eighties and you're like eighty late eighties early nineties and you're like, I want to watch something. I just want I want to put something on tomorrow afternoon and just have something. You know, the kids want this movie. The husband wants this. You want to do a family night movie? Oh, we we can get four. All right, I'm gonna get this one. I'm gonna be alone tomorrow, cleaning the house. Kids are gonna be outside. My husband's gonna be housework. I'm gonna watch this myself. That's what I feel this movie is. This is a Saturday afternoon, feel good or or bad <laughs> movie that shows what life was like in the eighties, and I believe shows what good writing, great cast, and a simple plot can do. And that's really kind of why the second reason why I wanted to watch this one because I thought this was a nice way for me to say this will probably be one of the last really popular films that I pick like this. Yeah. As we said before, we we very much want to shift into the real purpose of this podcast. We really want to start covering mainly not so known like obscure grindhouse, grindhouse yeah. uh, exploitation movies. Like we wanted to start off with stuff that people would know, like uh, more popular things. We're mm-hmm. still going to cover stuff like that, but probably more scarcely. Yeah. And uh, this whole first year really has been about this has been an establishment. Experiment. Yeah. Like, how do we feel? What if we pick? I wanted to pick obscure, but I also wanted to pick popular. This yeah. was a huge popular movie back in 89. Huge. Right. I heard about this movie till like the late 90s and then it kind of fell off the face of the earth because VHS just nobody really talks about this and it made a resurgence in 2020. I don't know why it made a resurgence in 2020. Who the hell knows? But you know, everything made a resurgence since 2020. Hey, even COVID is making a resurgence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not funny. (laughs) I do have to, I have to, I have to commend Tom Skerritt. In this one. Okay. Now, at face value, his performance isn't anything to write home about. It seems pretty standard. Seems like the normal dad. But I have to commend him because he took on this role where he has to remain stone-faced. He has to mask all of his character's worry, pain, just dealing with all of the stuff that this family is going through. Because he was a man conditioned during, like, he would have been 40s, in the 60s. 50s, 60s. Yeah. So you got to think, like back then, as a man, you were supposed to be firm and never show emotion, and you were supposed to be the strong, silent, like that. That's what society wanted from you. Yeah. So it's a. I could see, especially during once later in the movie, like once like Shelby passes away and everything. Yeah. You can see that he's hurting, but he's remaining. He goes to hug one of his sons who's losing it, and he's just like, it's okay, they're there. It's like, you're allowed to break down too. I wanted to scream, you can break down too. But he plays it so damn well. Yeah. Like, I cannot commend him more. Like, he did a great job of this movie and he still delivers you those like funny moments those 
Like he's one of the funnier ones in this he film. He really is. What what is Tom Skerritt known for? Because I hear that and I see his face and I've seen it in young and I've seen it old. He's done a lot. I know him most from Alien. He plays Dallas. Hey. I think I just broke her. <laughs> no, this broke me. Who the fuck is this Bobo? Tom Skerritt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Tom Skerritt. Hang on. Tom Skerritt. Oh, uh, don't get rid of the mustache. That's disturbing. That's like my my stepfather not having his mustache. Yeah. Ooh. He's Tom one of those Skerritt actors who's known for his mustache. Oh! Damn, he was hot in the 70s. <laughs> Do you don't know man. this. If you looked like Tom... I'm um, sorry. If you looked like Harrison Ford at any time in your life, between when he was in his 20s to even now old man, I would jump that man in a heartbeat. That man is hot. <laughs> I love the fact that he's still fucking cynical, sarcastic, and he's an asshole. Makes my heart flutter. Yeah, that Harrison, she's coming for you. Watch out. No, no, I'd get, I'd get fucking absorbed by Callista Flockhart. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, and I forget fucking Ian Holmes is in this fucking movie, too. He There's is. Bilbo Baggins looking like a hobo in the background. Ian Holmes, fucking <sighs> John Hurt. Can we watch Alien? Do we have to wait for the podcast? <laughs> I love Alien. We'll get to it. Oh, guys, I just wanted to watch the Alien series, but I'm not allowed to because it's for the podcast. It's bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. Like, all the men in this movie... The men don't... You see Spud, and he has a little bit of emotion at one point with Truly, Truvy. Um, when he's like, you know, I don't I don't want to go to the fireworks. We always go to the fireworks. You can see he's going through his own shit, too. But they don't make the men the central focus. They make the women and their emotion towards what is happening in the town the main focus. You know what? You make a really good point. They don't show the men. They like don't, the men are no. not the focal. But... You make a really good point that kind of piggybacks my thing with Tom Skerritt. Mm. I don't know the actor's name who plays Spud. Sam. Um, hang on. Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard. I should have known that. I'm an idiot. Why <laughs> should you have known that? Why are you an idiot? Uh, he's been it a lot. Uh, oh, but- God. This dude, too. What the fuck? These guys are in everything. Holy shit. But, uh, Sam Shepard. Throughout this movie, you see him being this, like, kind of... He's a little bit less than Tom Skerritt in terms of, like, holding back the emotion. He doesn't show anything. No, no, no. I mean, he shows more. You think? I thought he showed just about the same, well, if not less. when you first meet him, you don't get to connect with him very much. It's just, like, kind of in passing, almost. Mm. And then... There's the scene where she comes back to get him for the fireworks, and you can see that he's disappointed. Like, he's very much, he's like, I don't really oh, feel I like lo- going I out. I lost the bid. It was a big bid. bid. Like, so it's like, he's he's hurting, but he's trying to hold it back. Yeah. You can see it. But then there's the scene where they're getting ready to go to the funeral, and he and he comes in dressed up, and he's like, I, I I'd like to you. come with you if that's okay. She's like, of course you can come with me. I'm like... And it's like, he's letting you... Sh- like letting you see as the audience that like these men do have feelings yeah like he feels like he has to go sit pay his respects because you gotta think she's probably always been around since she was a little kid yeah yeah like he 
he, he he's known her since she was a fucking child. Like he he watched her grow up, and now she's gone. Yeah. So it's like, I, yeah, I, I kind of have to give it to all the guys in this movie for the most part. Even Benny. At one point... Listen, Benny gets nothing. <laughs> at, at one point, Daryl Hannah's character flips out on him. You have beer in my house? She pours out his beer. You're not going to do that. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And like, you're not going to take his name in vain. He goes, yes, I am. <laughs> like, you can see the the guys show emotion, but it's not as it's dramatic not the you, as the yeah, women. It's not the way you would expect. But it's, it's not... It's not like, oh, these women are overdramatic. No, it's showing you that this is how the men react. This is how the women react. I guess in the same regard, you can give it to Dylan McDermott, too. At one point, he's just so happy and loving and excited. He can't wait for the wedding, so he breaks into the house to to see Shelby. But there's also insecurity there because he's asking. He breaks in to see her so that he can ask her. If she's sure she wants to marry him because she had a freak out the night before, he feels insecure. Yeah. He doesn't feel like he's good enough for her because the night prior, they explained that they were they went up to go park somewhere, you know, because we know what parking is. I've I've never parked in my life. I went to high school between 99 and 03, guys. Parking is what you did when you put the car and then you had to go into school. That's what I know. Um. They went up to, like, the lover's point, and they parked, and they had a good time. But she had to break to him that I I shouldn't have children because it'll be too much on my body. And she feels that she's not good enough for him, that he needs to find someone that can give him children. And she almost called off the wedding, and he's like, no. He's like, I want you. I chose you. We can adopt. We can do all this stuff. Like, you are the one I choose. Yeah. And he shows up going, I want to make sure you're going to marry me. You're going to marry me, right? Like, yes, he's insecure, but he also wants to make sure that, like, I don't want anybody else but you. You are it. And it makes you realize, like, you know, yeah, women are steel magnolias, but men aren't made of just steel. Men can have a softer side, too. Keep trying to tell this one to show me emotion, but he doesn't show me anything. No, it's fine. That's all he says. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's great. Yeah, when you finally fucking snap. (laughs) But that's why this movie is painfully great. I wanted to hate this movie. I honestly wanted to sit here and just be like, oh, this sucks. Oh, we sat through this. This was terrible. No, it's really good. No, it's really good. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I hate to break it to you. This one's great. Well, shit. We lost. <laughs> Shall we get into closing questions? Yeah. Overall thoughts on the film? I think if I had to rate this between uh, a 1 to 10, a 0 to 10, I would give this a solid 9. This movie does have its flaws. It's dated. It's older. But I really can't see anything wrong with this film. I can't. It's got good material. People can relate to it. It's sad. It really is. But it's also heartwarming. And sure, it is a chick flick. It's a 1980s chick flick. Doesn't matter anymore. Dudes can watch this too. It has something for everybody. Whether, you know, it be a story about a girl that just wants a family even though her body can't take it. Or an old lady whose husband died who buys a... You know, fucking radio station and then walks around in a, you know, 
restroom changing room with a bunch of naked jocks. It has it all. I swear they threw that in for women just to be like, hey, look, naked bum. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But no, this one's good. This is a solid watch this. Obviously, if you're a listener who is here for horror movies and Grindhouse, I think you should watch it. But if you sit there and go, boo, I totally understand. 100%. Tune in next week for the better fun. Trust us. (laughs) What do you think? What's your uh, overall thoughts? Um, I... I think it's a solid movie. Like, I, I think I cannot argue with the performances. Mm. Like, watch it for the fucking performances, if nothing else. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good film. And I say that because there's a difference. There are films and there are movies. Like, this is a film. Like I think they they did a really great job with this. Like I think the casting was spot on. And if you're someone who appreciates films, mm-hmm. you're gonna enjoy this. Like if you watch a movie for the performances, you're gonna get something out of this one. Yeah. Did you have any favorites? Weezer. Anytime Weezer is on the screen. I think there's one where she goes, Malin, eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that character. That is who I want to be when I grow up. I want to be the town grump with the giant dog being like, he has anxiety. Stop existing. <laughs> what about you? Uh, my absolute favorite is the cemetery scene. The that is Sally Field's big monologue, like her breakdown. That yeah. fucking scene blew me away. It was that scene, knowing that this was a play when it started. That I was like, gee, I wish I became an act, a Broadway actress. Yeah. I would have loved to put passion behind that scene and do it your own way. Uh, like that right there was <sighs> made me cry, but everything makes me cry. So next question. So I guess it works. This whole movie works. We don't even have to ask each other that one. This one works. No, it works. Cut, dry, simple, done. <laughs> Would you recommend it? 100%. I recommend this to even people who are like, no, I'm not going to see that. Try, try me. Try me and trust me on this. Because this is a, this movie goes into horrors that people don't want to understand. Losing your family, losing a loved one, disappointment. Like, sure, horror movies are great. Suspense is great. Drama is great, but real life shit is really terrifying. And this movie is just chock full of real real life experiences. Um, I think I I don't think I would recommend this to many people. Okay. I think I would recommend this to people who are gonna appreciate the characters, appreciate the performances, appreciate it for the film that it is. Hmm. I would probably recommend this to the boys that have been drinking been watching actually holy shit yeah because they would have fun with this I don't think it's the type of film that they would really love or anything but I think that they would have a lot to say about it they would find they would find things they appreciate in this yeah that's what I think they would I, I think Belts for example I think he would really like the 
performances. Like, I think he yeah. would get something out of that. Plus, he's a big fan of period stuff. So is he? I got so many period movies that I'd love to introduce him to. I, Belts and I have never met, but no. I've heard so much about Belts and I, fe- <laughs> I have a feeling Belts has heard about me. Yes. Someday, Matthew, someday I will meet you. <laughs> How would you make this today? <sighs> you know, I would, would you make this today? I, I would. Okay. I would make this today because I believe this fits in any, any kind of decade. You could change it to the 1990s, the early 2000s. You could change this now to COVID. Losing loved ones to COVID, grappling with not being able to see your friends. How would these women cope not being able to see each other every day, being trapped in their homes? What if at one point they mention a gay son at one point or gay nephew? How would they have coped with AIDS in the early 80s? You know, if you bring this to a period like 1860, how would these women have coped if, you know, it was the Civil War? You can take this time kind of classic story of women coping in life in any period. It wouldn't be the same story, but it would be the same premise of these five women getting through life. So that's how I think it would be remade into a different type of story but the idea is still there and i think it's been done many times sisterhood of the traveling pants little women all right yeah so this has been done many times steel magnolias no the idea of it it's been done i don't think it should be made again because you wouldn't have sally fields in it i mean you could yeah, but it wouldn't be the same. Imagine if there was a st- sequel to this and all five women came back. I'll fucking throw up in my mouth right now. I'll make you watch it in a heartbeat. <laughs> in a heartbeat, kid. This goes without saying, but th- I'm not even going to ask it. This mainstream. is mainstream. <laughs> this is a mainstream movie. There's this is a grindhouse because there's asses. No, this no, is mainstream. No, that's fucking retarded. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. This is mainstream. He's shooting guns at birds. He's killing wildlife. It's grindhouse. <laughs> Um, is there anything else you want to talk about regarding Steel Magnolias? This is the last time I will do a feel-good romp. Maybe if in the future... Don't listen to her. <laughs> maybe in the future, if there is an April Fool's, I will make you watch Beaches. If you ever know that you're my hero. She wants me to end my own life. She wants me to put a bullet With in my fucking mouth. this big gray cord hanging from the four or five foot ceiling in our apartment. I'm sorry, is that triggering? <laughs> Bang! Wow! <laughs> well, we just got canceled. Congratulations, Sean. Nobody's fucking listening anyway. <laughs> If somebody's listening, please comment below. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I think that wraps up our discussion of Steel Magnolias. But don't go anywhere just yet. Please stay tuned for the coming attractions. Every holiday season, there's one toy everyone has to have. I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move, and the Rocket Roar jetpack, and the Boomerang Shooter. Getting it is every child's dream. Where 
whoever doesn't can be a real loser. Finding it. You got the doll, right? Is this father's nightmare. I'll get that toy. I promise. Whoa! Nothing like waiting until the last minute, I would say. Especially on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Turboline, you're mine! They're all gone. These two are looking for a turbo man. <laughs> Where's your Christmas spirit? The last one just left. Now, it's two fathers. This is war. One mission. <laughs> and every man for himself. I'm thinking maybe, you know, we could join up as a team. You know, like, like Starskin Hutch. We're late delivery of Turbo Man at Toy Works. Let's go. Is there a problem, officer? <laughs> you can never do too much to make a child's Christmas magical. Hey, buddy. <laughs> From the director of Mrs. Doubtfire. You want a Turbo Man for Christmas? Forget it. I'm not going to sit in your lap. Tony, show him. That was taken this morning. And from the director of the Flintstones. Don't open that up. No, no, no. Of course, there's uh, some assembly required. You know what you guys are? Nothing but a bunch of sleazy con men in red suits. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sinbad. I work for the post office and I'm unstable. Tell him. This man is totally insane. Thank you. Christmas comes, but once a year. No! Jingle all the way. You picked the wrong day. Why do you think I picked this one? <laughs> you can't start Christmas without Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think anybody's ever said that sentence before, but okay. <laughs> I just did and it hurt. Um, I loved this movie as a kid. This came out in 96. I would have been 11. And I had this on tape and I loved watching it. And now as an adult, I fucking hate myself that I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely also grew up seeing this one many times. And I think it's a fun way to start off the Christmas season. It is a, we're not doing gremlins. We're not doing a typical horror movie to start. We are going in with a Disney fucking direct-to-video movie. Was this direct-to-video? Uh, look, I'm know. saying it now, but you are the, you are the facts man, theaters, so we'll, we'll run see. the facts next week. I think uh, I think this one's going to be fun to rewatch. I think it's... Uh, I remember, yeah, I remember it being very like funny. Now that I think about it, it is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Yeah, <laughs> those are two names that you're like, wait, I'm sorry, who's in this movie? <laughs> oh, oh, buckle up! Someone kids. else is in this movie. Who? Someone that I think you're going to be surprised you didn't remember, but we're going to save that for next week. For next week, welcome to the start of the Christmas season, kids. I hate it. Fuck. <laughs> we are not a Christmas household. The only thing Christmas we have is a little cactus that when you click on it, it goes, na 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 That is all I have that is Christmassy in this house. And that's in storage. <laughs> yeah. All right. That brings this discussion to an end. If you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. Find us on Discord where you can chat with Leah Woo! about 
this film or any of the films that we've covered previously, or you can suggest us some new ones that maybe we can check out. Mm. All the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes. Listen to us every Monday morning and give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. If you like what we're doing and you want to show us some support, you can subscribe to the show on Patreon or directly through Acast, where you can get yourself access to ad-free listening or unlock some fun exclusive bonus content that we're putting together and uploading just for supporters. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thanks for listening. And keep watching.